This is the Worth Recovery Podcast, featuring women in addiction. Welcome back to Worth Recovery, a podcast featuring women and sex addiction. My name is Amy. I'm your host here. I'm a sex addict, and I've been sober since December 2nd of 2012. And I am excited to be back with you. This is episode 130, The Courage. Well, originally I called it like The Courage to Take the Wheel, but that really isn't going to make sense to you until the end of this podcast. So I'm also calling it Who's Driving? Who is Driving? Who's driving? So we're going to get to those questions and the comments about wheels in just a second. Um, Just a few things that are going on with Worth Recovery um, around events and different things over the next few months. Um, Because we have a lot going on. We have so much going on and I am so excited about all these things going on. Um, First of all, we've got our new intensive series uh, with One Layer Deeper. That's O-N-E-L-A-Y-E-R-D-E-E-P-E-R.com. One Layer Deeper. John and Jackie and I have collaborated for a new series of intensives around relationships. And we're really excited about this first one, Dating and Recovery. So we've got uh, our very first one coming up in a few weeks um, in June. And I'm excited about that. I really think that uh, we're just a few weeks, we're going to kind of do some amazing things. We just had a team meeting this morning about it, and I'm super excited about what we're going to be doing. So if you're still interested, we have a few spots left for June. If you're still interested, uh, we'd love to have you then. Also, we've got, we're going to repeat it in October. That's how big the demand is. So we're going to be repeating this in October. um, And so you can find the information on the website, onelayerdeeper.com. And this again is about dating and relationships. So How do I date? How do I show up in a relationship? How do I meet people? How do I flirt? How do I express interest? What are the boundaries I need? What are the relationship milestones that I really need to figure out? Um, Am I giving away too much too soon? Am I withholding? All of these ideas. How do I navigate sobriety when I'm in recovery? What if my partner's not in recovery? What, What do I tell them? How do I tell them? How much do I tell them? What do they have a right to know? What All of those questions, we're going to work on them. And I'm super excited about the mindset piece that we're going to be working on because I think as addicts, we approach relationships most of the time, new relationships, and even current ones in that one down position, right? We've done so much damage. We've been untrustworthy. We've lied. We've, whatever we've done. We've done all these things. And so when we approach a relationship, we always come in kind of in that mindset that says, uh, I'm the horrible person here. So whatever you have to offer me, I'm just going to take. And if you're not all that great for me, that doesn't matter, you know, or if you think you're better than me, that's true. Um, And we approach this relationship in a one down position rather than approaching, you know, um, equally on the same footing. And we want to bust that myth out of the water. I want to just like smash that belief that you have and really start talking about the strengths that you bring to a relationship. So I'm excited 
excuse me. So I'm excited to be doing that work in our dating and recovery intensive. So again, uh, in June, just a few weeks away or in October, you can learn about that and we'd love to have you. Also, uh, we've got coming up starting next week, uh, June 12th, our sponsor Academy. So that starts next Tuesday night and we're half full already. So if you want to join us, uh, get on the website, worthrecovery.com and click on the sponsor Academy um, label at the top under the coaching tab. And I'm so excited to be doing this, you guys. I There's such a great need for sponsors, for capable sponsors um, in the sex addiction circles. In all of the fellowships that I know of, there is a massive need for sponsors. I'm not perfect sponsor and this isn't about me being perfect and giving you all this wisdom and knowledge. It's about this joint effort of let's bring everything we know together and let's talk about what makes sponsorship work. And so I'm super excited to be doing that. Um, so I, like I said, we're half full. Um, I'm excited about that. And if you want to join us, get on the website. There are some sponsor, uh, no, some scholarship position. So if the price of 147 is out of your price range, just email me. Let me know. Amy at worthrecovery.com, A-M-Y. And uh, we can talk about it because I want as many people there as want to be there. So let's make that happen. Also, we have our cur- our continuing our courage conference this year. So we had our first courage conference um, in February in here in Salt Lake City. And uh, that was great. We had so many people and great attendance and really great um, connection there. I felt really connected and was so grateful for the things that I learned from the other women um, attending. So we're going to continue that through through this at the end of the summer. We've got two events. We've got three more Courage Conferences. So one in New York on August 18th, one in Atlanta, uh, Georgia on August 25th, and one in Bellevue, Washington, that's the Seattle area, on September 29th. So I hope that you'll join us. I'm excited about it. I'm excited to bring this, um, this connection and this um, ability to bring women together throughout the, the United States. So I hope you'll join us at one of those. So we've got a lot coming up for Worth Recovery, uh, so much, and I'm so excited about that. So get on the website, worthrecovery.com. Uh, check it out because we completely redesigned, I completely redesigned it. I shouldn't say we. I completely redesigned it recently and I'm really excited about it. I love to just look at it. Makes me happy. So get online, uh, worthrecovery.com and check it out. Give me some feedback. Let me know what you think about the website and join us at one of our events. I really want to see you. So I hope that that works out. Okay. That's a lot going on, right? So let's get today today's question. Who is driving? Who's driving? So recently I heard a story um, about uh, Elizabeth Gilbert. So it was another famous um, author kind of telling the story about Elizabeth Gilbert. But um, Liz was at a speaking kind of engagement and they were taking like Q&A from the audience. And, um, and someone asked her the question, like, how do I get rid of my fear? How do I get rid of fear? I don't want to operate from a place of fear. And how do I get rid of it? And I think she gave the greatest analogy about fear that I think I have ever heard. And this is kind of what she said. I'm just paraphrasing here. She said, fear never goes away. And you don't want it to go away. We need our fear. Fear keeps us alive. And she gave a few stories about how as children, you know, it's like 
it's fear that keeps us alive. It's fear that keeps us from burning our hand on the stove or in the fire. It's fear that keeps us from going too fast um, when we're children. It's fear from, you know, that keeps us, learns, helps us learn how to balance. I mean, all sorts of things. She gave some really great stories about why we need fear. Fear keeps us alive. And we don't want our fear to go away, she continued. And this is what she said. We just don't want it steering the car or choosing the music. You want it strapped in in the back seat. <laughs> and I I think that's such a great analogy, right? I mean, just such a great analogy about fear. We need our fear. We need our fear for so many reasons. It keeps us alive. And I would say not just physically alive, but it protects us emotionally and mentally as well. It keeps us in line um, and it helps us remember uh, the thing, you know, the things that we need to do and be cautious of and be careful of. I'm sure you remember uh, the Dixie, the Dixie, <laughs> that's the combination of Disney and Pixar, just so you know, Dixie, the, <laughs> but the, the Pixar film Inside Out. So I just recently saw that for the first time, just like a month ago or so. Um, I watched it with my little four-year-old niece and she'd seen it a million times so she could almost recite it, but it was my first time seeing it. And you know, you remember from that movie, if you've seen it, like we need our emotions. We need all of our emotions and we need fear. Um, but we need all of our emotions emotions to show up at the table. Now, I heard this, you know, analogy, if, I don't know, a few weeks ago and, and had seen this thing about Elizabeth Gilbert. And then I went on a small road trip. And while I was on this trip, I was thinking about this whole concept of who's driving, Right. Um, because as I was driving around, I thought about all the different emotions or it's just the motivations in our life, the events of our lives or the ideas of our life that we allow to take over and steer the car or choose the music. How often do we let a specific emotion or idea take the wheel? Maybe it's anger or fear Jealousy, shame, regret, envy, loneliness, disgust, sadness, ambition, anxiety, concern, confusion, worry, or ego. These are just some of the ideas, some of the emotions that we experience that we might let them take the driver's seat. And sometimes not just the driver's seat. Sometimes we let them get in the driver's seat and duct tape them their hands to the wheel, right? And and we let them choose, um, we let them steer, we let them drive. And not only that, we let them choose the music, the soundtrack for the trip, the, for the trip that we're on. And we just either buckle ourselves in the backseat or maybe we don't even buckle. Maybe we just hold on for, for dear life. Um, and we just hold on to anything that's available for the ride. We let these emotions or motivations drive the car. And what we mean, what I mean by that, when we say we let them drive the car is we let them choose the path that we're taking. We let them dictate our actions. We, we aren't the one controlling what's going on. We let this emotion take over and steer the car where it wants to take it and dictate what our actions are. We let them choose our path. Now, my therapist calls this concept that when we act out, our emotions instead of acting on our emotions. So acting out our emotions, 
meaning we act out of that emotion. Our emotion is controlling what we're doing. Let me give you some examples to kind of help you understand that. We act out our emotions when we let them drive, okay, when we let them control. So here's some examples. Maybe we let anger drive us to start yelling or raging at the people in our lives. Maybe we let fear keep us from reaching out or finding support because we're afraid of what might happen on the other side of that. We let jealousy lead us to belittle others or gossip about other people. We let shame lead us to isolation and maybe even as far as taking our own life. I think that happens a lot. We let regret hold us captive, never able to let go of our past and we're constantly digging it up. We let sadness trap us from connection for the, to those around us. Maybe we let ambition and ego damage other people in our climb to the top as we're trying to get ahead. Maybe we're damaging the relationships or stepping on other people's toes. Maybe we let worry and anxiety keep us from being present in our life, our current life right now. This is examples of how we might act out our emotion. We let that emotion take the wheel and choose the music, meaning those mental voices or those um, emotional scripts um, that we hear on repeat over and over again. So not only are they steering the car, choosing our path, but they're also controlling the mental scripts going on in our head. We can even do this with what some would call like quote, positive emotions. I don't like to call any emotion positive or negative. Um, I think all emotions are neutral. They all exist. We all feel them. Uh, To label them positive or negative means that we may welcome some of them and not welcome others or maybe even shun others. And for me, I believe the truth there is we can't control that. Um, We can't control what emotions show up for us. Emotions just show up. We can't necessarily control which ones show up. Um, And that's why I think emotions neutral because we can't control what shows up. What we can do is control what we do about that emotion when it does show up. That's what we can control. But having the emotion just show up, we, we can't control that. I can't force myself to not feel sad. I can't choose to never feel sad again the rest of my life. That emotion is just going to come up. So I don't like to label them. But let's just say for this um, (laughs) part here, right, maybe there's other emotions that we also let drive and let steer our path. And that could be joy or happiness or faith or love or acceptance or hope or gratitude, kindness. Maybe we let any of those take the wheel and choose the music. Letting these emotions steer can also cause problems for us. We can also act out these emotions instead of acting on these emotions. And here's some examples that you might not recognize, or you might you might recognize when you hear them, but you might not think about, or maybe you haven't thought about. That didn't make sense. I hope that made sense to you. Okay, we let acceptance, right? That emotion of acceptance, feeling acceptance. We let acceptance keep us from seeing the reality or the totality of a situation. Um, you know, I used to teach high school, so I'm trained in a lot of adolescent behavior. And we used to talk about this. One of the high schools I taught at was like a heavy, 
heavily gang populated area. And we used to talk a lot about this in that gang mentality, which is, you know, kids feel so much acceptance at the gang level um, that they will excuse criminal behavior to feel that acceptance, right? Acceptance is what we would maybe consider a good thing, right? We want to feel accepted. We want to feel a part of. But we let that acceptance blind us from the totality of the situation going on. Um, I would definitely say that I've experienced that in relationships I've had with men. We let kindness. So here's another. Here's some more examples. We let kindness make up for the cruelty we sometimes accept or vice versa. We dish out. Right. So a lot of times we let that kindness hold us captive and we accept this cruelty that maybe um, we shouldn't be accepting. We let joy trap us into what I call happy face syndrome. So always needing to have a happy face for the world. And we let joy trap us into that when that's not reality either. We can't always experience joy. We let gratitude keep us from feeling our own grief. Telling ourselves that we shouldn't be sad, quote, shouldn't, right? Be sad because we have so much to be grateful for. Or it could be so much worse, right? I hear that all the time. It could be so much worse. You shouldn't be upset because it could be so much worse. You just need to be grateful for what you have. And in that way, we use gratitude, which is a really great tool and emotion to feel to um, trap us or um, as an escape from our own grief or um, causes us to not feel our grief. Maybe we let faith Faith, again, a beautiful thing in our lives, but maybe we let faith keep us from feeling our, um, no, maybe we let faith, sorry, maybe we let faith act as a bypass, believing that if we just have enough faith in the universe or a higher power, we don't have to dig deep or do our own hard work. Um, I see this a lot (laughs) where if I just have enough faith, then I don't really have to worry about my past or worry about the trauma I experienced. Um, my faith will just make up for that or take care of that. And in some ways, that's true, I guess. But also, we have to do our own work. We've got to figure out how that trauma affected us and and, and heal some of that trauma. And faith we use as a bypass from doing our own hard work. Or maybe we let love keep us loyal and bonded to people that are hurting us or taking advantage of us. And so we say we love them or they say they love us. And so we stay loyal and bonded to people who are damaging, hurting us, or they're taking advantage of us. So I hope from those examples you can see that letting any emotion, emotion of any kind, drive the car, lead our actions, choose our path is dangerous. Um, Letting them choose the soundtrack is just as dangerous. Um, We can't let emotion drive the car. So in one of our, my coaching calls that I did this week, um, uh, I did a kind of an autopsy with a woman about her recent slip. So I asked her, she had had this kind of big recent slip. And so I asked her, I said, okay, so did anything happen that day that you feel contributed to you wanting to escape into fantasy. At first she was like, no, nothing happened. She couldn't really think of anything. So I just asked her to tell me about that day. What happened that day? What did you do? Just like kind of, you know, walk me through what, 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 what went on. 
So as she described the events of the day, she came to a certain work situation. About halfway through, describing the situation to me, I could see her face kind of fall. She stopped and she said, oh, oh, I get it. She described the situation and made the connection. She had felt rejected by her team at work. She had floated an idea out there about a project she was working on and everyone had dismissed her. And then they moved on without really giving her any feedback about it or anything like that. And she felt very rejected. As she described the rest of her day, I could tell that she was starting to make connections. At that moment, she let rejection sit in the driver's seat. She let rejection drive the rest of her day. And this is some of the things that she told me that she did the rest of the day that led to this slip. She avoided her team the rest of the afternoon. So basically she rejected them after she felt like they had rejected her. She was short with her kids, not giving them the time or the attention that they needed. Again, a rejecting moment. She ate crappy food that made her feel horrible the rest of the evening. So she's rejecting herself now by not taking care of herself. She canceled her lunch with her friends the next day for really no good reason. Again, rejecting her friends. And she ended up that evening lost in fantasy and looking at pornography. Rejection took over the wheel. It strapped in, it picked the soundtrack, and it took over the rest of her day. As we discussed it, as we discussed kind of what was going on for her, she also confided that I was the first person that she talked to about the situation. She had let rejection pick the music as well. She hadn't opened up to let other voices into that situation. So rejection strapped in and picked the soundtrack. Now, I get that because I've been there. <laughs> I've many times let my emotion take the wheel and pick the music, pick the station. And I'm sure that you have too, right? We've all done that in the past. So the question I want to explore with you today is what are some of the warning signs? What are some of the things that we can look for to know that emotion has taken the wheel? Now, there are obvious things that happen that we know that their emotion is driving that, right? Maybe it's raging, constant crying, tantrums, open rebellion, happy face syndrome, right? Bypass can be pretty obvious to some people. There are some things that we do that we know emotion is taking over. And there are many times when we see people and we know that the emotion is driving or we see ourselves even and we know that the emotion is driving. What I want to talk about today, though, are how can we tell when this is sometimes we don't know what's going on, right? Sometimes we don't even know this is happening to us. We aren't aware that emotion has taken over or is causing problems for us. So I want to share with you a list, okay, of what are some of the ways that we can tell if emotion is driving the wheel? And I, I want to make sure that when you listen to this list, so a quick caution, right? Don't listen to this list and shame yourself for it. If this is you, if you identify with any of these things on the list, you now have new information, new awareness to help you see your life in perspective. If these things are happening to you, or if you notice these things in your life, you know that these are some of the signs that emotion is driving. And so it's important for you to figure out what that emotion is and then make different decisions. So let's go through the list first and then we'll talk about the second part of that. Okay, how do I know when emotion is in the driver's seat? 
Number one. Oh, again, these are just my indicators. These are things that I've noticed about myself and the women and men that I coach and work with and sponsor and all of those things, okay? These are just the indicators that I've noticed. <laughs> um, you probably have some different ones, and I hope that you'll share those with me too. But these are the five that I've seen um, most in my life and in those that I work with, okay? Number one, shooting. When shooting becomes a big thing for me or for those people, I know some sort of emotion is driving. I start shooting all over myself or all over other people, and I know that emotion has taken over, taken the wheel, okay? And shooting looks like you should be doing this or you should be doing that or I should be doing this or I should be doing that, or why didn't I do this? You should have been, you know, you should have been there. You should have, whatever it is. When I start shooting all over people, myself included, then I know that there's emotion driving that. And I need to step back and stop shooting and start looking at that, what what emotion's driving that. So the first one I'd say is shooting. The second one, second indicator, and that's when I'm trying to recruit people to my side. So... I call people and I say, oh my gosh, this just happened. And this is what I did. I'm right, right? Like I'm totally right in this situation. Um, so I'm trying to recruit people to my side. I need people to see what happened and to validate me in what's going on. Now, this is different than getting consultation, reaching out to ask for help or to get another perspective. Because when I'm recruiting, I'm not curious about what happened. I'm not saying, hey, what do you think? I'm not saying, do you think I handled that right? I'm telling you something because I need you to agree with me. I need you on my side. When I need to have a side, when I feel like there are sides in what's happening, I know emotion is driving the wheel, okay? So the second one is when I'm trying to recruit people to my side. Then I know emotion is driving. Okay, number three, arrival syndrome. <laughs> Oh man, arrival syndrome. So when I'm looking to arrive, then I I know that that emotion's driving the wheel. Arrival syndrome looks like this. When I get sober, then I can start feeling good about myself for my life, right? Arrival is sobriety. When I get there, okay? Um, or how about... I'll stop being mean when they apologize or I'll forgive them when they apologize. So again, that's arrival. I want to be somewhere something needs to happen first before my, you know, my side changes, right? So anytime I'm in arrival syndrome, then I know emotion is driving the car. And that's because your react your actions and your emotions are dependent on someone else. So anytime I look at arrival syndrome, I know that that's emotion driving my car. Ugh. That's me. I struggle with that one a lot. <laughs> okay, number four. When disagreements make me highly uncomfortable, then I know that emotion is driving my car. I need people to feel what I feel and see what I see. Um, I might acknowledge their perspective is different verbally, but I still try to convince them that my way is right. And so I guess I would say like, I can't take on another perspective or respect another person's ideas. 
And that's when I also know that emotion is driving, driving the car. Truth here is that, you know, in most relationships with people, you're going to disagree about at least 50% of the time. And if that disagreement makes you like so uncomfortable that, uh, that you can't sit with it or you can't figure it out, then your emotion is driving your car. Um, and a lot of times that looks like, um, we might say like, yeah, I, 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 I can see, you know, what you're saying, but let me tell you what I'm saying, right? Like, so we might verbally acknowledge that they have a different perspective, but we're still trying to be right all the time. Um, or we just avoid the confrontation all the time. Uh, we might have conflict, but we just say the right, quote, right thing to make the conflict go away or to not not to disagree with someone um, because being in disagreement is too uncomfortable. And so that, I would say, is when your emotion is driving, driving the car, is when disagreement of any kind makes you highly uncomfortable. Okay, that was number four. So last one, number five. I know emotion is driving for me, number five, when I can't see options or I feel paralyzed. Uh, this can look like indecision. I won't make a decision or I'm paralyzed into not making a decision. Um, I can't see different options in front of me. Or it can also look like I have no other options, that there are no alternatives except this one solution. Maybe I see no way out or I feel like it's fated that I have to do something or act a certain way or feel this or feel a certain way. Um, for me, like I can think of many times when I would say to myself, like, if I don't like if I don't do it, no one will. <laughs> or this is the only option that's going to work, you know, in this situation. And anytime we work in the binary, right, this is the only option or um then we're, we're, we're letting emotion drive the car. We're, we're not in control. We're letting emotion drive the car. Or anytime we feel paralyzed, we're not making a decision or we're avoiding making a decision. I kind of feel all like that's all the same category. We are letting emotion drive the car. So just real quick recap those five ideas like shooting. If you're shooting on yourself or shooting on others, then you're letting emotion drive. Um, if you're trying to recruit people to your side, if you feel the need for a side and you're trying to recruit people, you're not being curious about what's going on. You're not looking for consultation, but you're recruiting, then you're letting emotion drive. If you have some kind of arrival syndrome going on, um, when this happens, then I'll feel this way or um, I'll stop being this when this happens, right? So like arrival syndrome, um, you're letting emotion drive your car. If you can't disagree with people, if disagreements make you so uncomfortable that you avoid them, or you might verbally acknowledge a different perspective, but you're not really accepting of that or respectful of another perspective, then you're letting emotion drive the car. Um, or you just can't see options. Number five is you can't see options. There are no options. <laughs> then again, we're letting emotion drive the car. Now, again, these are just some indicators, some of the ones that I experience and some of those that I see a lot in the people that I coach and the women that I work with. Um, but maybe yours are different. And I want to hear about those. What are they? What are your indicators that emotion is driving your car? 
I'd love to hear them from you. You can post them um, on Facebook, um, links to this podcast episode or on Podbean, or you can just email them to me and I'll accumulate them and talk about them. But I would love to have your ideas. What are your indicators that emotion is driving your car or has picked your soundtrack? Now, there is an alternative, right? What's the alternative? If we aren't supposed to let our emotions drive, but emotion is good for us and part of us, how do we keep the emotions in the car contained, right? And in the back seat <laughs> and not let them drive? What would the alternative look like? What would that look like if emotion wasn't driving your car? And if I find that emotion is driving my car, how do I, how do I kick it back to the back seat? So that's what our next episode on this topic is going to be on. So that'll be next week. Um, episode part two, we're going to talk about how do I get out? How do I put, put the emotion back in its place in the backseat? And what does that even look like? If emotion's not driving, then who is driving? What is driving? And how do I make sure that I can keep and sustain that? So that's what we're going to talk about next week um, in our second episode on who is driving. Who's driving, right? You, you're going to be driving. And so we're going to talk about what that can look like and how you can get there. Um, a big shout out today as we close to our Worth Warriors. Uh, thank you so much for your generous, generous donations um, to keep this podcast free for all women throughout the world. We're continuing to grow. Um, it's incredibly humbling. And I'm so grateful that what I have to say can resonate with you um, and that you learn and grow along with me because that's what this is all about, learning and growing together. So a uh, big shout out to all you Worth Warriors and uh, your efforts to keep this podcast free. I appreciate it so much. And so do all the women that listen and men. And I hope that you remember today that no matter what's going on in your life, no matter how far you think you have fallen or gone down, no matter what emotion is in the driver's seat or what emotion is picking your soundtrack today, um, no matter what's going on, you are worth recovery. 100% worth it. I know that. I, I know that. Um, and if you don't, then you can just rely on my knowledge until you get there. Because it's true. You are worth recovery. No matter where you're at, no matter what's going on, and no matter who's driving the car today. And next week, we'll get you in that driver's seat. So know that I think about you, I pray for you, um, and I love you. Until next time, Amy. stuff. 
The mission of Worth Recovery is to dispel shame and build hope in the lives of women struggling with and recovering from sex addiction. I am not associated with any 12-step group, religious organization, or therapeutic clinic. I am an addict sharing my own experiences and recovery.